they, they said to me, you're closing the gap, Rob. You're closing, you, you've got that mindset of incremental growth on a daily basis. And once I understood what that actually meant and I realized what I was doing, I kind of pour on the coals with that baby. And I've seen incredible personal growth myself and in business and just in life in general once I've identified that. Welcome to the Outperform Podcast. My name is Scott Welly. I'm an author, speaker, and the founder of Outperform the Norm, a global movement that helps people achieve peak performance in their personal and professional lives. I've spent my life working with top performers in business as well as athletics, and each week it's my aim and mission to bring you an inspiring person to share their personal stories and insights, or perhaps it'll be a personal message from me, but with one very simple goal in mind, to help you outperform. Your time is precious, and I want to thank you for spending it with me here today. But just one small ask before we get started. If you find value from this podcast, the greatest way that you could possibly thank me would be to head on over to iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast platform happens to be and give it a five-star review. Also share it with somebody that you know that you would like to help outperform so we can all grow this movement together and strive to make the world a healthier, happier, higher performing place. Once again, thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. Robert, welcome to the Outperform Podcast. How are you? G'day, Scott. I'm really well, mate. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. We appreciate you being on. What does it mean to you to outperform and how do you define outperforming in your life? I love this question and I love the title of your podcast because um, it's something that I try to embody on a daily basis. Outperforming the norm for me means incremental growth. It means beating your best and it means closing the gap from where you are to where you want to be. And I really try and do that on a daily basis. That's everything from the workouts that I do to the debriefing that I do for myself in business. And I'm a really big believer if you can close the gap by just one or 2% on a daily basis. Over a period of a year, you improve by three or 600%. That's a, a huge amount. So for me, outperforming the norm means beating your best and always trying to do just a little bit better every time. Yeah, it's those little small incremental gains stacked up over time that really lead to massive results, right? Absolutely. And that, that is held really true in my life. And I never really understood that concept, maybe till about two or three years ago. And when somebody introduced me to that 1% gap concept, I realized that I kind of live like that anyway. But when it's kind of like when you're, when you're a little bit sick or something and somebody tells you what's wrong with you, then you can deal with it. And, and it's like that, you know, I realized what I was doing, but no one really identified exactly what it was. And they, they said to me, you're closing the gap, Rob. You're closing, you, you've got that mindset of incremental growth on a daily basis. And once I understood what that actually meant and I realized what I was doing, I kind of kind of pour on the coals with that baby. And I've seen incredible personal growth myself and in business and just in life in general once I've identified that. So it's been a really interesting journey. So just out of curiosity, who was it that introduced you to that concept and in what context was it presented? Was it personal or professional or athletic or what did that look like? Oh, look, that was something that I heard on a podcast. So I was a fly on a wall and there's two people talking about the, the incremental growth and the incremental gap. And, you know, like everybody, you know, I listen to podcasts and I listen to audio books and I put the audio book down and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the best audio book I've ever heard. And 
that was that most incredible content that these people put together, but I never really do anything with it. That's part of the problem with all of this information that we have is that you, you take that, you absorb it, but you don't do anything with it. And it was that one time that I actually did do something with what I heard. And all I did was kind of dwell upon what they talked about in that 1% gap. And it helped me to understand what it was that I was doing. And you know, when you listen to a podcast, I feel like those people are talking to me because I can relate to it, especially if you're on a show that you can relate to. Um, and, and I guess that's kind of where it happened. I don't remember exactly what show it was. I think maybe a Jocko podcast or something like that. It could have been. Oh, sure. Yeah. Don't you feel like, though, a big thing with, because I've been there too, and I always say the norm kind of does information and outperformers do implementation, where they actually mm. take the things that they hear and that they learn and they actually apply them and implement them in their lives. Don't you think there's something to be said for when we talk about the 1% difference that it doesn't seem as daunting as what we get presented in society that you have to make these sweeping, massive, monumental changes to be able to have success. So because you can look at it and say, well, this is just a small thing, a small one percenter, I can actually go and I can do this. Uh, I mean, is that something that kind of happened to you or how did you look at it? Yeah, look, like, like everybody, you know, when you, you're watching somebody on YouTube or you're listening to a podcast or there's people that are in your life that influence you, you look at those people and, and you kind of aspire to be like that. And sometimes the gap from where you are to where they are seems so damn big. It seemed, they seem like he's a property billionaire for heaven's sake. I, I love Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone's been a huge influence on my life and in, and in business and you know, but Grant, Grant is so far away from me on his balance sheet that I feel like it's unachievable. But what Grant does, he has a really good way of bringing it all back down to earth for me. And he has a really good way of explaining something from a sales perspective or a business perspective or a mind perspective, mindset perspective where you can just see that, hey, if I just kind of did that little thing that he kind of recommended there, I would see a little bit of growth. And what it does is it stops that big, huge influencer or that influence in your life feeling like such a giant gap. And the other thing that I learned to do when I, when I kind of recognized what it was that I was doing with trying to outperform myself to use your, your lingo, what I recognized I was doing was I, I was growing, but I was having a little celebration in the growth as well. Like I'd give a little Tony Robbins fist pump under the table. I'd be like, yeah, got it, got it. You know, if I want to sail, you know, and I wouldn't do it with anybody else. I'd do it with myself and I'd reinforce that good feeling that you got when you just close that gap. And you're quite right. You know, if you're just going just one or 2% or just even less than that, half of 1% a day, it makes a difference. And if you can recognize that and just have a little celebration as you do it, it's good, good fun. And it's a great way to, to feel yourself grow as well. So I certainly want to come back to this because I think it's such an incredibly important principle and it's one that I've seen play out in my life. Like I think of the, the last email, I always send out emails to my list every Friday. And the last one that I talked about was basically something about marginal gains, compound effect, slight edge, however you want to play this concept out in your life, but the principle of 1%. But before we even talk more about this, we've got to let the audience know a little bit more about you. For anybody that's watching on YouTube, they can probably see that you're wearing the Go All In t-shirt. Um, I certainly want you to talk about the Go All In podcast, of which I'm a big fan. Um, but tell people a little bit more about Robert and your background and what it is that you're doing. 
So as your American audience can hear, I'm an, I'm an Aussie. Um, I'm from Sydney, Australia. I live in a wonderful place called Cronulla Beach. It's like I'm, I'm where I'm sitting right now in this room. I'm about 100 meters away from the water. Um, and it's absolutely paradise. I'm sorry, but we are the luckiest country in the world. There's no question about it. It's, it, this is the land of opportunity, right? The home of the brave and the free. Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you on this, so I'll just let you go with that. You just keep believing it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I live a, you know, all jokes aside, I live a, uh, a really, really good life here in Australia. You know, we really, my, my business, uh, I'm a full-time podcaster. I run a show called Go All In. But I also have a podcast booking agency that helps other people get booked onto other people's podcasts. That's how I grew my following and grew my movement was just by attending other shows just like this. Um, and there's been lots of people over the last year or so that have been asking me to help them do that. And I've done that and I've turned that into a business and an agency. And prior to that, I've, I had a digital and I still have a digital marketing agency. I've been in that space for about 12 years. So I'm well... I'm well versed in digital marketing and in that space. And what I discovered over the last couple of years is that marketing online changes very, very quickly. There's always new things coming. There's always new platforms, there's new silos, there's new things to happen. And people are so platform centric these days when it comes to advertising and marketing that they forget one really important thing that there's only two things that you can control anymore. And that is your email list and what you say in an email list and your podcast or your appearance on a podcast because those two things are never censored and they're never subjected to an algorithm that's owned by a big giant company whose sole purpose for existence is money. So I love podcasting. I love being able to communicate a message to an audience. I love being able to share my story and share the goal in mindset because podcasting is a way it's really intimate to have a conversation with somebody like yourself for an hour or so and to share my view of the world and you're on the other side of the planet and I'm, I'm here and really we're not that much different. We're just people, you know, we have different lives of course, but our, our values and our drivers and our principles are all still the same. And I love that about podcasting. And I think that's part of the reason that it's become so popular and really gathered momentum in the last couple of years. I've been, um, I've had a lot of experience in, in a couple of different businesses and where it all started for me is uh, I, I joined the Royal Australian Navy when I was 17. Um, I spent five years in the Navy and I, I was out for about six months and then I joined the Australian Army. I was a paratrooper in the Army. So I was lucky enough to go overseas in operations a couple of times and uh, I kind of, the way I describe it is I grew up in the military. And by the time you grow up, you're almost you're nudging 30 years old and you get a little bit sick and tired of people telling you where to go, what, what to wear, what to eat, when to eat, you know, when you can see your family, when you can't see your family. And I felt like a little bit of a caged lion towards the end of it. And, you know, it was time to go. It was time to get out. One of my mates was killed in Afghanistan and that was all pretty uncool. And at the time I had little kids and my missus at the time, she was sort of like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Go over there, get your head blown off. And what about these kids and all that? And so it was time to move on. And and I was early in the early 2000s, 2002, when all of that was sort of just kicking off. And in some ways, I feel like I got out of the military a little bit too soon because all of the, the wars had started and that's what I'd trained for and been for. I'd, I'd been on ops a couple of times, but never like in Afghanistan or Iraq or anything like that, just on kind of peacekeeping operations. But, you know, I got to go and kick in doors and do it for real and experience it. And I feel like I got out a little bit early because I felt like I let my mates down a little bit because they were all overseas doing their thing. 
but you know that's that's transitions from the military back to being a civilian that's difficult and and i did struggle with that for a little while that was that was quite hard for me my marriage broke down um things just weren't so so good but i got on the other side of it you know that's life people go through trials and tribulations in life and um i got on the other side of that and, and once i got my i guess my personal life squared away uh, my ideas in and around business started to come to life and I gathered a bit of momentum and, you know, here I am today. I, 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 everything's really good here now. Everything's really good. But, you know, my life is not like other people's. I've had dramas and tribulations just like everyone else. But in the scheme of things, my health is good. My family are good. My kids are good. I've got a pocket full of money. There ain't nothing to complain about. <laughs> and so there are a lot of follow-up questions I want to ask based on what you just said, but one of the things that hasn't always come easy to me has been sharing some of the trials and tribulations and things that I've had in my own life. And, and whenever people come on the podcast, the Outperform podcast, and I always ask them to hopefully expand on some of those trials and tribulations that they've had, because I think that's how we can connect with people and understand that, hey, even for a successful podcaster, digital marketer like you, uh, you know, it's not always roses and rainbows. So I know towards the tail end, you said that you really struggled to, I don't know if it was the adjustment back to civilian life, or you said your marriage kind of broke down. Is there something that you can go back to at that period of time, what you were going through, and also how you were able to transition out of it and get to kind of the better other side of that? It's such an easy thing to explain now I'm sitting here 10 years on. But when it was going on and when it's happening to you, it's very hard. It takes a really smart, emotionally intelligent person to recognize what's going wrong with them at the time it's going wrong. And, and it also takes a very smart, socially intelligent person to be able to have a friend or a family member say, hey, mate, you look like you're struggling. Do you need some help? And then to be able to put your hand up and say, yes, I need some help. That is a really, really really difficult thing to do. And if I cast my mind back to the, the times that you were talking about there, I don't think I had the social or the emotional intelligence to understand what was going on or what was happening. But with the benefit of hindsight, I can you know, sit here 10 years on, I can, I can look back and see why I struggled. And the, I guess the biggest thing for me that I struggled with was a transition out of the army um, into civilian life. I uh, me and two of my mates, we got out together and we started a business and we had a successful company. Within three months, we'd employed like 30 people and people work for years, years and years to achieve those sorts of results. And I can remember my mate Paul saying to me, hey, Rob, you know, the, the wages bill is like $17,000. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do, man? You're the operations guy. You're the, you're the guy looking after the books. I'm out on the tools with, with all the boys and doing what we're doing. And we had an electrical contracting company and we were working in a niche where you didn't need to be an electrician. And it was a new rule, a new government uh, incentive that, that they put in uh, into workplaces that all workplaces had to comply with this. And we, we went in there and, and plugged the gap to help workplaces comply. Otherwise, they'd get fined by the government. So it was kind of like the government telling people that you must do this and all of these people were paying us. It was a really good time and we made a lot of money doing that. But I remember Paul saying to me, hey, Rob, you know, the wages bill is this. And I was like, well, how much money is in the bank? And he's like, well, there's $9 in the bank. I said, what do you mean there's $9 in the bank? He goes, well, there's only nine bucks in the bank, man. You know, it's a cash flow thing. You, know, you don't see this every day. And I said, well, no, I don't. I'm out on the tools doing, doing what, you know, guys do out on tools. And how are we going to come up with 17 grand by tomorrow? And he goes, well, you've got to go and 
collect on the money. And <clears throat> so I'd go around, you know, back in the day before the internet was like it was today, you'd, you'd beat on the doors and go, come on, man, that invoice is like six weeks overdue, time to pay, time to pay, time to pay. And we'd go around and, and collect on the money like that. And, and it was, you know, it, it was the transition that I made from being in the military and, and going to that sort of existence was very hard for me. The last posting that I had in the Australian Army was at the Australian Parachute School. And it was pretty cool. It was an amazing job. You know, you'd rock up to work in the morning and you'd say to the boss, what's on today? And he'd say, what do you think, you idiot? We're at the parachute school. Go and get a parachute. We're going skydiving. And you'd go, oh, God. And you go and kick the carpet and you're complaining about going skydiving, right? And you go out in a jump cereal, go jump six to seven times a day and um, all sorts of things going on. So it was an amazing job. And it was one of those jobs which took a lot of emotion out of you because if you've ever been skydiving or you could probably imagine what I'm about to say pretty easily, you would go to work, you'd get your equipment, you'd drive out to the drop zone, you'd gear up, get in a plane and you're kind of all hyped up and you're excited and there's the adrenaline, you get out, then you get on the ground and all your adrenaline goes away, you get into a hangar, you go and pack your parachute again, you get back in a plane, you go and do it again. So your adrenaline's going up and down, your emotions up and down. And when you're in an unpressurized airplane all day, your body's expanding at altitude and then contracting, expanding and contracting, expanding and contracting. Then your adrenaline's going up and down, up and down. So physically and emotionally and spiritually, this thing is really, really draining. And you kind of got to be a young guy to be able to handle handle that. You know, I look back at that and think, would I be able to handle that in my forties? Maybe, I don't know. But gosh, it was it was hard when I was in my twenties, type thing. Anyway, all of that is kind of the background to where I um, where I was struggling, and I decided that I was going to leave the military after my buddy was um, was killed, which was really tragic. And you know, I didn't want that to happen to me, especially with little kids. We got out. And we, we moved on. But then I would I turn on the TV. I see my mates in Iraq and running around. I'm like, what the hell? Like pointing at them on TV. And I just felt really bad. Like I was like, I'd let everybody down. I felt really just, I just felt terrible. And then in Af- as Afghanistan kicked off, Australia wasn't in Afghanistan. It was all special forces stuff uh, for a long time. But when we came back from uh, a, a deployment to East Timor, all of my mates went over to special forces. And they were all in Afghanistan and they were like, Rob, you should come, come over to SAS, come to commandos, whatever you should do it. You'll pass the courses. It's not that hard. And I just never, I just never got there because I had such little kids and I couldn't abandon the children like that. Cause once you go, you kind of go that you're gone for six, nine months on a course. And then they deploy you overseas for four or five months at a time. And my kids were really little and you know, you got to make a choice at some point. And I was so badly torn between both of those things and right towards the end of my time at the parachute school, I had a malfunction. Um, I got out of an airplane one time and a mate of mine, we were mucking around in the sky and we bumped into each other. And um, in a military parachute, you have the old fashioned rip cord and it's up here on your, by your right shoulder. So the, the drill is you put your right thumb into the, into the D ring, so to speak, and you just pull that out. And there's a big long cord that goes to the back of the parachute. It pulls the, um, it pulls the uh, pilot chute out, pilot chute spring loaded, pops out, pulls a parachute out and, and off you go. Then anyway, I got out of the airplane. I bumped into my mate and knocked my handle out un- up underneath my arm. And the drill goes like this. This is what the instructors say to you. You're spinning out of control. You're above, above 6,000 feet. What do you do? And the drill is to hard arch. And 
what I had was what's known as a floating handle. So my handle was floating up under my arm and there I was, I bumped into my mate. He knocked my handle loose. My handle was floating and I was on my back and I looked up at him and he was pointing at his right shoulder and his eyes were as big as dinner plates in his goggles. I can remember that. He's pointing at his, at his right shoulder like that. And I looked down and I couldn't see my handle, but I was still free falling. And I looked at my altitude. I was at about 8,000 feet. At the time, I don't remember any of this. I only remember it in hindsight. It's really interesting what happens to your brain. So I flipped onto my stomach and I hard arched. And the drill is that you have two goes at it. You reach, see if you can get it one time. And if you can't, try again. If you can't, there's a cutaway pad, which cuts away your main parachute. And then you pop your reserve on the other side. So you're all good. I was never going to die. Nothing was ever going to happen to me. I was fine. So I was above 6,000 feet. It was at 8,000 feet when that happened. I had a couple of goes at it. I couldn't get it. And I looked at my Alti and I was still above 6,000 feet. And I flipped over onto my back and I contorted myself and I found it and I ripped it like that with my left hand. Normally, normally you pull your, pull your parachute with your right hand. And I got my left hand up under my arm and I found it, pulled it. Parachute came out just as normal, got on the ground, everything's okay. Um, normally what you would do when you land is you'd have your, the D-ring in your right hand and you'd put that in your, in your pants pocket, in your cargo pocket. So anyway, I flared my parachute, I picked my parachute up, I walked inside the shed and the rigger said to me, okay, uh, where's, your, where's your D-ring, Rob? And I was like, hmm, that's a good question. I said, I don't know, man. And my mate Paul comes in behind me and he's like, man, you just had a malfunction, a high-speed malfunction. Oh. And I was like, did I? Because all my drills, right? Because you do so many drills and you practice so many times and all this had happened. And, and I was like, oh, what the hell? Anyway, they charged me 50 bucks because you lost the handle. That's what it costs. Cost 50 bucks. It's just kind of how it is. I don't even know where the 50 bucks goes. What, do they give it to the army and they buy it? No. Someone takes your 50 bucks and buys a box of beer. And uh, some cranky box or somewhere. It's just how it works, right? Anyway, it, so all of that aside, it's about probably three weeks after that had happened that I started to like just randomly freak out about stuff. Like just, I don't know, I just I had, I had this rising anxiety about things like, and I would be driving to work and work would, you know, still at the parachute school and work was about a, a 45 minute drive. And um, every second day I'd ride my bike, it was about 35, 40 kilometers one way. So when I was riding my push bike, I was okay. I'd cycle to work. I was fine. But when I'd sit in the car by myself driving on the straight road, I'd, I'd just be like, oh man, I'm just like freaking out. Like, badly and i'd like well up with tears and i'd be like <gasps> like that you know if that's how you could describe it on an, on an audio show and i didn't recognize what was happening to me or what was wrong but it was it's kind of like a form of ptsd i suppose you go through these these types of scenarios and ptsd is not necessarily what you think from a veteran perspective you could be um in an abusive relationship with with your husband or with your wife and suffer from PTSD. You could have a car accident or an injury or break a bone and you still freak out about things like that. And, and, and I, at the time, I didn't know anything about that. I never really recognized anything about that. It, and it certainly wasn't in the media like it is today. And I think because I never really recognized what that was, that when you leave something like that, it tends to fester. And you know, I'm a big tough paratrooper. What's wrong with you, man? Like, what are you freaking out about sort of thing? You know, that's the kind of self-talk that I had to myself. Whereas the self-talk should have been, 
hey man, you're not quite right. It's not right that you're feeling like this before. You've never felt this anxiety before. And Scott, it, it was debilitating, mate. If you've ever known or suffered from PTSD of any sort, you know, it doesn't have to be from being in combat, you know, somebody shooting at you or, you know, your mates getting blown up, but my God, it was debilitating. And I would just like freak out, like just for no reason. And I think as I left the military and I felt bad about leaving my mates behind, I had unresolved issues that I'd never really taken care of and I'd never really addressed. And because I never addressed those things, because I'm a big, tough paratrooper and I was feeling sad about leaving my mates behind and feeling like I'd abandoned everybody, that festered. And I think it kind of affected my relationship with my wife at the time. It affected my attitude to life. It affected just everything that you do. And all because I had a malfunction, which really never really even amounted to anything. Nothing happened. I was completely safe. It was just something that had happened. And I can only attribute the way that I felt and the anxiety that I felt to that particular point in time, because prior to that, I'd never felt anything like that before. I'd never felt a level of anxiety like that before. And, you know, the way I treated myself was with Google, of course, because big tough paratroopers don't go and seek help or put their hand up or anything like that, which is just stupid. So if you're listening to this and you're struggling or, you know, this is causing any sort of issues for you, make sure you put your hand up and go and get some help because there's so much help out there, you know, and to help you to get through it. And, but anyway, the Google doctor told me that what I need to do is to take myself back there and just relive that situation. And that's why I'm able to recount it so accurately because I relived the situation so many times in my, in my mind. And it's amazing when I got on the ground how I didn't realize what had happened. And my mate Paul comes running in and he's going, Rob, oh my God, what happened to you? And I was like, well, what are you talking about? But now sitting here, like all of these years later, that happened in 2001, all of those years later, I can recount it almost exactly like in a timeline. And you know, when you think about it, it only takes you six seconds to fall through a thousand feet. So the whole thing only took a matter of less than 20 seconds for all of that to happen. And it messed with my life for years, for years. So if you're listening to this and something has taken 20 seconds of your life to mess with you for years, you need to do something about that because you'll lose years of your life in the process if you don't. Yeah. So looking back on that experience that you had, and I know you said that you just went to the Google doctor, uh, which is probably the doctor I would have gone through if I had something like that. I mean, I'm just being completely honest with you. But your advice to other people, if they had some type of traumatic event in their life that caused some form, mild or severe, of PTSD, would that be therapy or would that be the Google doctor like you, or would that just be surround yourself with great people or what would your advice be to people like that? You know, I, I think you just need to talk, you just need to say it out aloud. I, I, for a long time, I wasn't able to say it out loud just to, to say I had, there was, I was not right. Mm-hmm. Like that was, I don't know. Cause guys, guys put up a, a, a tough shell, a tough outer shell and you know, I'm the provider and, you know, I'm the protector and I'm going to do all of these things and I'm this successful person and I do all these great things, but really on the other, and I do, and that, that is all true. But on the other side of that, I'm cowering in the corner, crying in my pillow, like a little baby, because I'm just freaking out about something that I should have addressed. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, it's really at its core is I was scared of dying and I, I potentially could have died, but 
I couldn't have because I have two parachutes. There's no way I could have died. But something has happened in my brain, some sort of connection, some sort of chemical reaction has happened in my brain and in my memory to cause those things. And, you know, I think to share the story with people that can understand it is one thing, but sharing the story with a professional and to somebody that can just hear your story and to empathize with your position and say, well, well it's completely normal that you feel like that. I feel like that just listening to your story. As a, it reminds me of a, and, and I don't want to take you too far off a tangent, but it, it's, just, it's along the, the line of questioning that you've got there. A, a mate of mine that I was in the Navy with, I reconnected with him while I was down at HMAS Albatross at the parachute school. He was still in the Navy. Anyway, he, he got out, I got out, and we reconnected about two or three years later. And he'd left, he was an aviator, and he'd left and joined the New South Wales Ambulance Service, and he was a co-pilot on the helicopter service here in Sydney. And if you think about what happens when they send a medical helicopter to go and pick something up, it's like the worst of the worst accidents, right? People are lost in remote areas, or it's the worst of worst, and they need critical care. They need really specific type of care really quickly, otherwise they're going to die. And my friend Nick would ring me up out of the blue because he turned out he moved, moved uh, just a couple of suburbs away from where I was. And he'd ring me up and go, hey, do you want to go and have a beer? And I'd be like, all right, let's go and have a schooner, mate. And he would tell me these stories of the most horrific things that you could ever imagine happening to human beings. And it's a hundred times worse than any war zone that ever, I'd ever been in. And he'd ring me up a couple of times and tell me these stories. And at first it was pretty interesting and it was, you know, cause the way the medical system works and the aircraft and the coordination and teamwork. It's like, man, you guys save lives. It's like really cool. But after a while he'd, he'd ring up and go, Hey man, you want to go for a beer? And he'd tell me these stories and they were horrendous. And if you're not a medical profession and you're not in that space, it's hard to hear. And I, I just couldn't repeat those stories because they're, they're so shocking. And Eventually, I realized what he was doing, he was kind of getting it off his chest because was, he was carrying it. And the reason he was doing it with, with me was, first of all, I was his mate. He trusted me. And the second thing was his, his wife was an emergency room nurse. She was an ER nurse. So she would come home from work dealing with death and destruction all day. He would be at work dealing with the front end of the death and destruction. And he'd come home to work to talk to her. And she'd be like, ah, I don't want to hear it. I've been dealing with it all day. So he had all of this bottled up inside of him. And I ended up being kind of somebody that he talked to about those things. But when he, when he gave his pain and shared his pain of the death of some child who was chopped in half in a car accident or something, he was giving that to me. And then suddenly I was carrying that and I'm like, oh my God. And eventually I was like, Nick, you know, dude, you, you got to stop, man. You, you got to get some proper help. You know, I, I'm your mate and I'm happy to listen to your stories and, and I'm a soldier and, you know, I can handle a bit of blood and guts and death and destruction and whatnot. But what you're dealing with is like 10x, man. You need to go and get some like proper help or find a way to get that out. And he did. And, and he did. And, and I know for a fact that um, he got on the other side of all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, that's part of the job. That's part of what you deal with on a daily basis. If you want to go around and fly, fly around in, a, in an EMS helicopter, you're going to go and deal with death and destruction every day. And, you know, him seeking help was a good idea. And him talking to me as a mate, is that a good idea? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But he's transferring all of that pain onto me and all of that like uh, hurt onto me. So you've got to really go and get some professional help is what I would say to that. Yeah. 
So we've gone through some of the tough times and now you've obviously come back and you're flourishing and, and you're very successful and fulfilled on the other side of that. And I do always like to ask people about their specific habits, routines, patterns, or things that they think have been instrumental to their success. What do you got? Oh, baby, that's, that's actually pretty easy. And it's a hangover from the military, if I'm honest. It's just the early morning routines, right? Is in the military, you wake up early, whether you're on base or not, you need to be at work early. And in the army in particular, you've kind of got to be there at seven o'clock in the morning. So that's not that early in the scheme of things, but I'm an early riser anyway. So for me, it's, it's exercise. It's physical exercise every single day. I think it's really, really important. And no matter where I've been in my life, at what point I've been in my life from an emotional perspective, exercise has always been a critical part of what it is that I do. And like everything, you, you fall in and out of love with exercise. Sometimes you really love to do that. And sometimes you just like dragging your sorry, sorry butt out to the gym at five o'clock in the morning. And it's the last thing in the world that you want to do, especially in the middle of winter. And for me, that has been something that kind of, once I get that out of the way at the start of the day, I'm ready to get going with my day. And I know that if I don't do that, I'll sit around at this time of the day at 1030 in the morning. And, you know, because I work for myself, I'll down tools and just go to the gym and I'll just get it over with and I, that's done. I feel better. Then I can go back to my day. So usually the, the thing that, you know, helps me is routine. And one really big thing is sleep. I think we all pay a little bit way too much lip service to sleep. You've got to work out what your number is. And for me, seven hours is it. So I try and get to bed by 10 o'clock every night, sometimes a little bit later, you know, 11 o'clock is as far as I go. And I'm awake at five o'clock. I'm, I'm ready to go. No alarm, no nothing. Bang. I'm bouncing out of bed, ready, ready to hit the day. And I don't feel tired throughout the day if I do that because I've had a restful night's sleep, going to bed at the same time every night and waking up at the same time every morning. In my view, that is one overlooked thing that 90% of people do which is such a simple thing to do and you'll feel so much better as a result of it. And I had a little shift in my mindset because I, I, I'm a night owl as well, but I'm also an early riser, but I love to stay up till two o'clock in the morning and just doing my thing, playing a video game or reading a book or watching something on Netflix. There's nothing I love more than that, but I do know that if I do that, I just don't perform as well the next day. So I don't do that. And the, the shift in my mindset has been, well, if you haven't done what you wanted to do during the day. And if it was those things to read a book, watch some Netflix or play a video game, if you haven't done those things by 10 o'clock, you're not in charge of your time. And if, if, you're, if you're like that and you're letting time manage you, then other outside influences will start to get on top of you. So it's really important that you manage your time. So managing your time coupled with sleep, coupled with an early morning workout, they're the three root things in my routine that help me to outperform the norm, baby. <laughs> Do you take any naps during the day? Uh, no, I, I used to. I used to. You know how your circadian rhythm takes a dip at 2 p.m. in the afternoon? Yeah, I, I swear to you, you, you could set a clock by my circadian rhythm like that. And, and I'll never ever, I'll make sure I've never got a meeting, an appointment, and I definitely don't have a podcast at two o'clock in the afternoon. Because I just like, my circadian rhythm crashes. But my sleep cycle is 20 minutes. So if I need to take a nap, I can lie down, and it's the infantry guy in me, I can lie down, shut my eyes, and I'll go to sleep inside of about two minutes, and I'll wake up 
like that in 20 minutes exactly. I'll wake up and I'll, all right, I'm good. And it's, I just, after years and years of understanding that and kind of documenting it as well, writing it down, just write down, I went to sleep at this time. Well, that's when I laid down and I woke up at exactly that time. And I don't remember falling asleep. So as soon as I lied flat on the ground, I went to sleep. And I can lie on the, on the ground here with no pillow, no mattress, no nothing. I'll just sleep for 20 minutes and I'm good. But I don't nap anywhere near as much as I used to because I got my sleep cycles right and I've got my exercise right and I've got my time management right, most importantly, because it's all in your mind so much because you can just push through it when you're tired, of course, but uh, I don't feel the need to. Interesting. So to go a little bit deeper on the exercise routine, what is your typical, I mean, what does a week of exercise look like for you? Uh, I alternate. Um, the, the, old, the old big tough paratrooper body doesn't work as well as what it once would. Um, the, the, <laughs> the port side hinge joint in my knee is a bit worn out. I think there's a little bit of kind of bone on bone rub in there, a bit of cartilage gone there. Um, so I can't really jog. I can run on a treadmill, um, which is like, if you've ever done that before, is like very, very painfully boring um, and hard to do. But I alternate between outdoor activity and indoor activity like that. And sometimes I can go for like 12, 15 days straight without a, without a break. And sometimes I go three days on, day off then go again like that because i'm not training for anything specific i just make sure that i'm moving and where i live i'm so lucky i live right at the beach right and um the morning activity the outdoor activity involves a podcast or a um, an audio book and about 11 to 12 or 13 kilometers of walking and a large percentage of that is on the soft sand um so i, I get a really good workout doing that and you get up at five o'clock in the morning and do that you're back by seven o'clock um it takes a lot longer to walk than it does to jog. I could probably do it in a quarter of the time if I was jogging at that speed because I can run pretty well, but I just can't do it for a prolonged period. And then in the gym, it's, um, it's high intensity um, cardio and typically it's, it's calisthenic type workouts. It's chin-ups, push-ups, rings, dips. Um, and, and I do chuck some weights in there to mix it up as well. I don't train like a bodybuilder. It's not chest and tries day today. Um, and you know, it's not legs day like that. I'm kind of a bit more, um, overall. And for me, because I sit a lot during the day, I just like to train my whole body as well like that. And I, I think what I try and do is, is progression. And I, I set myself goals at the start of the week, you know, I get on the chin up bar and how many can I do in a row? Well, I can do like 19 straight. All right. Well, by the end of the week, I need you to be able to do 22 straight for two sets of it with like just 90 seconds rest in between. Can you do that? So I set myself little goals like that and it's not that hard, but when you've got something to aim at like that, because the goal is so small, it's actually just in your mind. It's not physically. I can do three extra chin ups. <laughs> right, just right. Be able to hold on to the bar a little bit more and if you lost grip just come down just for a second then jump back up and grab the bar again and do those three extra reps so i love to set little incremental goals like that for myself and just keep myself moving forward in the in the spirit of the one percent gap mm -hmm. and we're going to come back full circle to that in a second but the only other thing that i wanted to ask you about is you're obviously an entrepreneur business owner podcaster and you brought up managing your time before are there any specific strategies or things that you use to identify your priorities um, as far as how you manage your time on a day-to-day -day or weekly basis? Yeah, that's such an important question. And 
Um, it'd be my pleasure to share with you the system that I use. In the last year or so, I've been working with a mate of mine uh, from a, he, he owns a business called Afterburner Australia, and he's an ex F 18 fighter pilot. And Afterburner has a, a system called Flex or Flawless Execution for short. And what it is in, in a nutshell is it, it's about um, the fighter pilot methodology and how they have a 98% mission success rate. So think about it. Uh, an F-18 pilot doesn't just walk out to his jet, look at his mate and go, oh, where are we going? What are we bombing again? Who, who are we bombing? What country? All right, whatever, man. They don't do that, right? You, you know intuitively that there's a really, really detailed planning thing that goes on. There's a really detailed briefing that happens before it. Then they go and execute the mission. So it's planning, briefing, executing. And then on the backside of that is debriefing. You know, what are the lessons learned? What could we do better? Did we need to plan better? Did we need to brief better? What was it? And I, and I, I have, uh, I plan, brief, execute and debrief myself 20 times a day. Um, now that I know that system and I've learned that system and what that does is it keeps me moving towards in the flawless execution system is what's known as a high definition destination or the HDD. And once you know where you're going, all the intention that you have points you towards that. And if I find myself doing something a little bit distracted, or if I'm off on a tangent to the left or to the right, I ask myself, is this taking me closer to my high definition destination? Is it getting me closer to my goal or is it taking me the long way around? And another really good way of describing that is with some Jordan Belford stuff. So people know Jordan Belford as the wolf of wall street and Jordan Belford has got a, if you don't know, he's a really amazing sales trainer and he's got a, so for telemarketing, right? If you're ringing people up and you're selling over the phone and I love Jordan Belford, he's got a method called the straight line sales system where you go from point A to point B and at point B is your sale. And what happens is along that straight line, your customer will take you off on a tangent to the left and the right. And if you buy into the BS of the customer saying, Oh, I can't afford it or I don't want it or it's now's not the right time or I'm too busy. What happens is you don't arrive at your destination. And, and if you think of it as a straight line from A to B, that's the from where you start to the actual sale. If you veer left or right and you draw a squiggly line, that's the customer's BS. And that's the distraction that we all feel in life. And if you don't have a straight line from point A to point B and you end up on these tangents all the time, buying into everybody else's BS and their distractions, you're never going to get to where you need to be. So for me, it's always about intention. How do I manage my time? I manage it with intention. So the intention is to achieve the high definition destination, which I set for myself at the start of the month. And then I break down those goals on a, on a weekly basis, a daily basis. And then every time something comes up on, on my to-do list, so I look at that. And the first thing I ask myself is, is this going to move me closer to my destination? Or is it taking me off on a tangent to some BS squiggle on the left or the right of the line? And if it is, I just don't do it or I stop, I stop doing that and I go back to what I should be doing. And it's about, it's not so much about a to-do list or managing my time. It's about the intention of what it is that I'm doing. And I've never heard that term before, but I absolutely love it. Uh, I'm probably going to steal it for some of my stuff. The high definition destination. Uh, to me, that's, it's such a powerful visual because a lot of people listening to this will have been born into and will remember the day and age of big TVs and horrible um, <laughs> clarity and definition within them. And now we're, we got into high definition and then it's ultra high definition and then 4K and now I think it's 8K. But it's a very powerful visual as far as being crystal clear on where you want to go and mm. thinking about it that way instead of just 
a vague kind of, well, I'm just going to be busy today or I'm just going to let the universe decide what I'm doing for me. Mm. One of the interesting things about that, the terminology that fighter pilots use is it's really simple and it's, and it cuts through the, it cuts through the, the noise. Another way to say high definition destination is what, what is your, your major definite purpose? What? It's just so ambiguous. It's like, what's my major definite purpose? I don't know, man. That's like my purpose is to like continue to breathe because if I don't, I'll die. Like it just doesn't make any sense. But what's your high definition destination? Well, I know that means my destination means I'm going somewhere. Where am I going? And can I see that in HD? Can I see that in, in ultra high definition 8K? And if you say that to somebody in a goal setting scenario, they'll go, uh, no, I don't see it. And then you can work on that to bring it out of them. You know, like, well, you know, is it in six months time or is it in five months and two weeks time? And you can kind of get the HDD out of them like that. Yeah, it's a really, really good tool. Yeah. Last question that I'm going to ask you before we wrap up, and it's been in the back of my mind literally since we first started because we, we started off talking about the 1%. We're talking about the little things that we do stacked up over time that lead to big results. One of the biggest things that I've seen and personally experienced, and I think it's kind of the catch-22 when we talk about the 1% gains, and you brought it up with exercise before, where you can look at it and you can say, okay, well, doing three extra chin-ups, well, of course I can do that. Or maybe I can make one extra sales call a day. Or I can do some of these little things. It's easy to implement, but... How, but the catch 22 of it is that we think that it doesn't matter because, well, if I just do these small little things, I mean, it's, I would have to keep doing them for such a long period of time for me to be able to see the payoff. And it kind of goes against our society of instant gratification where we want everything to happen right now. So how did that light bulb either go on for you that these little things would make a difference in the long run? Or what advice do you give to people that these small incremental gains, if you continue to do them at some point down the line, will really lead to huge results in your life personally, professionally, athletically, or otherwise? Mm, great. It's a really, really great question. And it's such an important topic to discuss because what, what it does is it gives you, it, it'll, let me give you some context here, yeah, some context to that 1% and closing the gap of that 1%. So as I mentioned earlier, I've had a digital marketing agency for the last 12 or so years. And my business has been always pretty good. There's, there's plenty of people that need websites built and advertising campaigns done and they need graphic design and all of that sort of stuff. So business has always been there. It's always been pretty good. And as a result of that, there's always been a little bit of extra cash sitting around. And when there's a bit of extra cash sitting around, people like me and my brother, we have harebrained ideas that we want to try. So we, we spend our hard-earned money and bootstrap our way to, a, to an idea for a, a product, for a service. You know, inevitably that involves building a damn website, which is expensive and time-consuming and he's such a perfectionist and a pain in the butt because he's my brother. It's just a, it's a process, right? So we've tried many things over the years and many things have fallen just dead flat on their face. They've fallen flat on their face and you know, it's never really the, the money that's bothered me. I've never really been bothered about losing money on something because, you know, if you want to try and break through and get on the other side of something, you've got to do something you've never done before and you've got to try something that nobody else has ever tried before. We all know that. So I've failed more times than I've succeeded in business. 
and with ideas and with startups. And I've worked with a lot of different startups as well, where they come to me and say, hey, Rob, you've worked in the startup space a whole boatload. You know what you're doing. Can you help us get up and running? And then all of a sudden, that responsibility falls on you. And I can get you traffic to your website. I can get people engaged. But what I can't do is get them to buy your product if it's no good. So I've seen failures in other people's startups and I've been directly responsible for those things as well. So not only have I failed, I've failed with other people and I've failed inside of that as well. And recently with the, the podcast booking agency, I took all of the collection of failures and business that I'd learned over the last decade or so. And I, I kind of said, right, before we start this, before we go and start booking people onto other people's podcasts, what is the solution that we're trying to come up with? What problem are we solving? And, you know, I went through the lean startup models and to the growth hack models and building a website and doing it. And then we've all been there. And I feel like I've done it 50 times in my life. And the reality is what I did is I just started because it's the start that stops most people. Then all of a sudden it's successful. And in just half a year or something, it's really, really, really successful. It's pulling in incredible cash flow. I'm helping a whole raft of people. I've got a network of a thousand or so podcasters. I've got all of these customers and, and it's just the machine is just working. And people are like, yeah, it's like an, like an overnight success. And if you were standing in front of me and you said that to me, I would slap you. <laughs> Political correctness aside, I would slap you as hard as I could. How dare you, whack. And, you know, just an overnight, you know what it is? It's a 12-year overnight success. And what people forget in the world of instant gratification coming all the way around to your question is that it, whenever you look at somebody and you see somebody, they started somewhere. When you look at an airline pilot that flies a 787-10, the most advanced airliner in the world, that person, he or she, sat in the front seat, in the left-hand seat of a Cessna 152 at some point in their life. They all started flying a little bug smasher. Nobody started flying a 787. Nobody started flying a joint strike fighter or a super hornet. They all started flying something small with a propeller. Everybody starts somewhere. And I think with social media and the way that we engage with media these days, there's so many influences that are out there and so many influences and so many things that you can aspire to. It's just a, a cacophony of noise and it creates a conundrum for people where they're like, Oh my God, I want to be like Grant Cardone or I want to go and hustle and grind like Gary Vee or I want to, I want to, I want to be tough and, and centric like Jocko Willick and be a straight edge like that. I want to be all of these people and do all of these things and I want to do all of this and they're just kind of stuck and they're paralyzed and they don't do any of it. And they, they feel like where they are to where they want to be is such a big giant gap, but they forget that those people started somewhere. And it's, as I said, it's the start that stops most people. So if you just start and just do a little bit each day and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, before you know it, you'll be a 10-year overnight success. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, it doesn't take you 10 years to be an overnight success. It only takes you 10 weeks or 10 months to get there. But the reality is there is no such thing as an overnight success. And it, the only way you get there is by incremental growth, one or 2% at a time. And if you think about where you are today, if you just improve 1% each day, you'll be 365% better at the end of the year. Now think about how much you get paid. If you got paid 100 grand a year, imagine if you got 365% more at the end at this time in one year's time. Would that be a good result? Well, I would ask you, how the hell would you live on that? 
That's what Grant Cardone would say. You know, getting paid a couple of million dollars a year. Well, how do you live on that? What are you going to do with that? It just depends on your perspective and it depends on what you're trying to achieve. But if you're trying to achieve something and anything that's worth building, anything that's built to last is not built fast. Fantastic advice. It really is. And I'm, I 100% agree. I sometimes just say you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. I think we're talking about the same thing. It's so important. If people would like to learn more about you, the Go All In podcast and what it is that you do, where can they find you? How would you like them to, where would you like them to go from here? Well, you can find the Go All In podcast wherever podcasts are found. So whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you like, just search for Go All In and I'll pop up there. There's a little tiger logo there that you can't miss it. It's kind of kind of cute. I use a tiger because it's a solitary animal and in order for it to survive, it has to hunt and it has to commit and be all in to actually win. So when you see the tiger, that's the podcast. You won't miss it. You can visit goalin.com.au for more information. We've got a whole lot of stuff on the website there as well. And if you want to get booked onto some other people's podcasts, I can help you with that. We've got a large network of podcasters and we can certainly help you to amplify your message. And I'd love to connect with you on Facebook. That's my kind of platform of choice there. And don't be shy in reaching out on LinkedIn as well. I'm everywhere that you could find in social media, except really Snapchat. I don't really spend much time in Snapchat with filters of bunny rabbits and puppy dogs on my face. <laughs> I don't do Snapchat either, but uh, there's a big audience there. I should. Yeah. <laughs> for everybody listening or watching, I will put links to uh, all the different websites, podcasting platforms, uh, and social media channels somewhere on the page or under the show notes in which you're listening or watching. Uh, last words of wisdom, parting shots that you'd like to leave with the audience. I love the question you asked in your pre-interview questionnaires. You, you said, what's a phrase or, or a thing that you say that no one else believes? And, and I'll leave the audience with this because it's a little bit Aussie and it goes like this. There's no such thing as can't cold sharks or too fast. Say that again one more time. <laughs> There's no such thing as can't cold sharks or too fast. That's the motto I in my life. I'm just going to let that be the mic drop moment. I've got, I've got nothing else to say after that. Let's just end it there. <laughs> Robert, thank you so much for being on the Outperform podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. That was a lot of fun, mate. We'll see you soon. Bye for now. To everybody listening and watching, keep outperforming. Wishing you the best of health, happiness, high performance. Have a great day. Hello, Outperformers. Three more quick things before we sign off here today. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I understand how many different podcasts are out there, and I do not take a single second of your time for granted because time is truly our most valuable asset. It is our most precious commodity, and I appreciate you taking that time and you spending it with us here today. Second, if you found value in this podcast, maybe you've noticed, but podcasting has gotten quite popular as of late. And if you would like to help support the Outperforming Movement and the Outperform Podcast, one of the best ways that we can get it found is for you to give it a favorable review and rating on whatever your favorite podcasting platform happens to be. So head on over to iTunes, head on over to Google Play, and give it a favorable review. 
And while you do that, also share it with someone else that you know that is just like you, is driven by growth and wanting to be the best personally and professionally in every single thing that they do. Number three, if you want even more tools and tips and strategies to be able to be your best personally and professionally, head on over to scottwelly.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. There are loads of different resources for you on everything from goal setting and grit to resiliency and focus to confidence and motivation and routines and habits and everything that you can possibly imagine to help you be your absolute best every single day, personally and professionally. Once again, if you'd like to access those free resources, head on over to scottwelly.com, S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. So as I sign off, thank you again for spending your time with me here today. Keep outperforming and as always, wish you the best of health, happiness, and high performance. Have a great day.